0: Hey, welcome to Terminal Value. So everything that I do here is based on one big question, and that is, how do growth-oriented people overcome the psychotic vortex of society to create a life of value and need? That is the question, and I am here to bring you the answer. My name is Doug Utberg, and this is Terminal Value. I publish new content every week, So make sure to hit the subscribe button and turn on notifications and then share your thoughts on each episode through social media and make sure to tag me so that I will know what to create for you. This episode of the Terminal Value Podcast is sponsored by me. I'm looking to help a thousand people build an affiliate marketing business that can enable them to pursue their passions and make a real difference in the world. The program my mentor and I created is based on tested content that has generated multiple seven figure producers. It doesn't involve any paid advertising, doesn't require any selling, and 90% of the work is done for you. But wait, there's more. The way we do it is different from other people out there. Instead of recruiting you to build my list in exchange for a commission, I'm going to help you learn how to build your own list while growing your affiliate business so you have an asset that can create value for you every day, week, month, and year of your life. If this sounds interesting, please visit www.dougbusiness.com to access the free training we created that explains how it all works. Okay, so today we are going to talk about what I call the psychopathic vortex, or understanding the self destructive forces of society and what you can do about it. So, the first thing we have to discuss is what is the psychopathic vortex? I define it as a self reinforcing cycle of negativity and socially destructive decisions and behaviors. And this has been created and accelerated by corporate government and media entities. So what are the root causes? Well, what it really comes down to is seeking to capture money without delivering value. Okay, right here, what I would like to do is introduce a key idea that is called rent seeking. So rent seeking is a concept from economics that happens when an entity whether it be public or private, basically seeks to gain wealth, power, whatever, without any reciprocal contribution of productivity. So a typical trigger of rent seeking would be something like government regulation. For example, a company that puts in place or that influences a regulation from the government that prevents competitors. A perfect example to this is banking. There are a very small number of banks who are primary broker dealers of US treasuries. That is a huge rent-seeking advantage. If you're a primary broker dealer, you are basically automatically forever too big to fail. And it doesn't matter what kind of corrupt shenanigans you go through, pretty much you'll always get bailed out by the federal government. Another really significant part of rent-seeking is limiting access to information. And then one of my favorites is monopolistic pricing power which is the methods by which enormous companies that in a lot of cases are very poorly run are lauded as wonderful businesses just because they make a whole lot of money. Well, and a lot of times the reasons why they make so much money is because they have monopolistic pricing power, not necessarily because they're running such an effective business. All right, so what this gets us to is what I call the negativity triad. And so the negativity triad has three main points. Those are government, corporate and media entities. And what they do is they create a self-reinforcing cycle of rent seeking that is, in my view, is pushing society toward a self-destructive spiral. By the way, I'm mostly talking about the big corporate in the US, principally federal government, although some states and also the large media outlets and social media outlets. And the way that this is happening is that basically that, you know, the federal government is trying to amass a whole bunch of power. Every major corporation is trying to hold on to its competitive position or basically to its monopolistic position. And then media is all trying to get clicks. And I'm just about to dig into all these in this more detail. With that said, I want to offer a quick disclaimer. Not. Every corporate government or media entity is out trying to do destructive rent seeking. However, the current market dynamics are making it so that large CGM entities are able to extract huge amounts of resources from society at large. And this is actually a really, really big problem. And I'm going to dig into it in a little bit. But before we get started, I would like to make a key point, And that is that Capitalism is, and as far as I can see, will continue to be the greatest source of wealth and affluence in the history of the world. It's based on a system of voluntary exchange on the part of privately owned entities where competition serves to continually increase the value that is produced for the end customers. The problem is that centralization and government regulation has been put in place so that it stifles the competition and limits voluntary exchange. What this means is that in a lot of cases, you are basically forced to buy from a very small number of providers, or in the case of government industries, only one provider. And so now what happens is you have less competition, you have no voluntary exchange at all, and it becomes a matter of basically wedging people into a corner. A perfect example of this is when the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare, went into force. What ended up happening was it was touted as a way to make healthcare more affordable and accessible. What it did was it forced, not encouraged, forced everyone in the United States to purchase healthcare from insurance providers. And no surprise, the cost of this went up, not down. And so what ended up happening is that people actually got worse healthcare that was more expensive, but the insurance providers who were rent-seeking on the back of the Affordable Care Act actually were made tremendously wealthy. They reaped all kinds of profits. And so as a side note, for any social justice warriors out there, the Affordable Care Act did accomplish nothing meaningful except dramatically enriching already wealthy and powerful corporations. That's just something to keep in the back of your mind the next time that you think you want to socialize an industry, because that is the kind of thing that happens. Okay, let's move forward to some corporate considerations, which is that first point on the negativity triad. So large companies will use their size and market position to basically extract monopolistic profit margins. These fund very large payrolls, which means high employee bases and very heavy executive compensation. But the problem is that leadership failures result in downsizing actions that are disproportionately directed toward the working level of the company instead of the leaders who caused the lack of competitiveness in the first place. And this is one of the places where a number of people on the left have it dead on right, is the people who lead companies into the ground are not the ones who get fired when the downsizing happens. Those are all the people at the working level. And in my view, you know, if a downsizing is required at the working level, I get that. But leadership should be swept out with new people brought in because I don't understand why the people who ran a company off a cliff should be why you would expect those to be the same people who can bring it back. If they didn't see the train coming the first time, I don't necessarily know that they're the ones who are the right people to fix the wreckage. Okay, continuing with the corporate point. So corporate entities in sectors like healthcare can generate tremendous profits from the current system. When you look at the combined profits of health insurers, of pharmaceuticals, of the practitioner wings, of the facilities... They create unreal amounts of money and there's not really any incentive to generate a new business model because of two reasons. Number one is that there's a lot of profit in the existing model and moving to a new model that is going to be more efficient will almost certainly result in reduced profits. And then number two is that these large entities don't tend to pivot that quickly. And so what will happen is you'll frequently have a lot of organizational inertia further these corporations i'm thinking amazon in particular but a number of other corporations they benefit from accelerating the addictive hyperconsumption patterns particularly of the western world to maximize their revenue and earnings and when i talk about hyperconsumption patterns what i mean is people continually buying more bigger better nicer whatever things it's the they call it treadmill effects or keeping up with the joneses which is where everybody is continuing to buy more and more and more and more stuff. Initially, this got really got going in America in the mid-20th century, and then it spread out to Europe. And now it's spread to China and India and Eastern Europe, and the entire globe is trying to become hyper-consumers like the United States. Well, But what's happening is this is rapidly depleting the planet's natural resources and producing tremendous amounts of pollution. And now let's move forward to looking at government considerations. So central governments, and the prime example I'm using here is the United States central government or federal government. It's run by political leaders. The oldest trick in the playbook is to spend huge amounts of public money in order to fund initiatives that will benefit their preferred donors or interest groups. And this is not a conservative or liberal right or left kind of thing. What happens is, you know, Left-leaning politicians tend to fund social programs, right-leaning politicians tend to fund military defense, other types of things. But what ends up happening is that these people, they will make sure that funds go to their projects, their donors, their people. However, the funds for these actions almost always come from adding debt. And that added debt creates inflation. And that inflation disproportionately impacts the people who are young, and low income, particularly young, because young people tend to also have low income, but there are a number of people who, as they age, they still maintain low incomes. And so the question I want you to ask yourself is, who are the people that all these politicians say they're trying to help? It's usually people who are younger and who are lower income. Who are the people that are hurt by the consequences of their decisions, people who are younger and lower income. So what's happening is that we have this self-reinforcing cycle where government entities are systematically disenfranchising the people they say that they're here to help. Let's move on into media now. So what's happened is media is consolidated into large entities. I'm thinking like Fox, CNN, Facebook, etc. So what's happened is these entities now have a lot of power to control the access to information. And what ends up happening is that media outlets, the way that they get paid is through advertising. Sometimes this is clicks through online ads, or it could be display advertising in the case of television. But the sole purpose of these media entities is to maximize the amount of revenue collected. So what that means is that they need to put the most scandalous, salacious, and exaggerated things up front. That was the television playbook the social media playbook and the Facebook playbook is to maximize the amount of conflict within interactions. Facebook calls this engagement. Well, if you have thousands and thousands and thousands of comments on posts, of course, it gets shown to everybody. And then that invites more comments, which tend toward politically or interpersonally salacious content, And so what it does is it creates a self-reinforcing cycle, but the more people engage, the more clicks they get, the more impressions they get, the more advertising revenue they can collect. All right, let's move forward to some of the impacts. So the big thing to remember here is that there is absolutely no incentive for the political decision makers to reduce the power of these major CGM entities, despite the fact that the resources that are being extracted from society are being funneled to an extremely small group of highly wealthy people. Many of these people who happen to be very heavy political contributors. And now this is one of the places where, speaking for myself, I have come to a fairly recent revelation here. Well, because when I was younger, I was much more of the libertarian conservative bent, which says that you, know, you shouldn't punish people for being successful. The problem is that assumption or that belief assumes that you have voluntary exchange in a competitive market. Now, in some domains of society, that still exists. And there are many, many successful people who should not be punished or looked down upon because they had to work very hard in order to amass their wealth. There are other people who have basically created their wealth by extracting it through rent seeking. And there is absolutely nothing laudable or honorable about that. It's effectively just legalized theft. And that's the important thing to really understand because if this trend is left unchecked, it will eventually result in a violent revolution that creates widespread property destruction and will result in a lot of loss of life. There will be lots of casualties. Continuing. So the most accessible path for regular, as I would say, normal slash good people to maximize their income or wealth is to seek employment with these corporate government or media entities that are involved in the psychopathic vortex. Now, you know, I had a 20 year corporate career, so I have now been on both sides of this because of course what ends up happening is you'll end up going through and you say, okay, well, you know, we need to maximize profits in order to meet earnings. So, you know, we're going to cut budgets. We're going to need to do a downsizing. We're going to need to tweak the algorithm in order to increase revenues. All the different things that, that people say or justify the actions that need to be taken in order to try to keep growing the company profits. Now, with that said, I want to put a disclaimer out there. Again, profitable business enterprise in A competitive environment where there is voluntary exchange is one of the most constructive things that can happen to an economy. So profit itself is not the enemy. The enemy is when you are pursuing the growth of profits over the creation of value. When profits are either generated. Or extract it or whatever that do not have an associated value creation associated with them, that is when the psychopathic vortex is triggered. And what happens in people's career is at some point they reach a point of decision where they have to either basically convince themselves that the things they are doing as a part of this vortex are needed, necessary, good, ethical, whatever or they have to voluntarily exit and reduce their lifetime earning capacity on average. Of course, some people end up being very successful business people who exceed their corporate careers. Statistically, that's a minority. But anyway, the point is that the incentive structure is set in place so that the good people who you would depend on to have a better system or to break a system like this, many of them are employed by the entities in this psychopathic vortex. Okay, so let's move ahead to some of the interpersonal impacts, or what I like to call the emergence of the dark triad. Now, in all fairness, I did not invent the idea of the dark triad, so I don't want to take credit for it. But I think it is very descriptive of some of the trends that are underneath the psychopathic vortex, and the two are very tightly connected. And so at a personal level, what happens is, This vortex brings out the dark triad characteristics in people's behavior, and it results in destructive, self-centered behavior patterns. And the three points of the dark triad are narcissism, Machiavellianism, and psychopathy. So let's start with narcissism. This is characterized by grandiosity, pride, egotism, and a lack of empathy. Well... Social media feeds and accelerates people's narcissism by cultivating a constant need for validation and a desire to one-up people in their online social groups. And corporations, what they do is they leverage this wrapped engagement to sell clicks and influence people to purchase products. And so this is actually a big part of where the keeping up with the Joneses effect really comes to play. The next point on this triangle is Machiavellianism. This is characterized by manipulation and exploitation of others, an absence of morality, unemotional callousness, and an elevated sense of self-interest. So an 80-20 Pareto hierarchy, and for anybody who is not familiar, a Pareto hierarchy is based on the Pareto principle, named after the Italian economist Vilfredo Pareto, who noticed that 80% of the vegetables from his garden came from 20% of the land. And another way of saying this is that say 80% of the income is earned by 20% of the people. But within that 80-20, there is another 80-20. So within that top 20%, 80% of that top 20 is earned by 20% of the top 20. Meaning that if 80% of the income is earned by 20% of the people, that also means that 64% of the income is earned by 4% of the people. And then that 80-20 replicates again, and again, and again, and again, to where you end up with extremely small proportions of the population that have a disproportionately huge amount of all the net benefits. And the vortex, it is constructed to create this cycle of people trying to climb the ladder through any means necessary. Well, Niccolo Machiavelli, an Italian author, and he wrote basically about the idea that the ends justify the means. So in other words, to be willing to go through lying, manipulation, devious activities in order to achieve your goals. The problem being that when you cross that threshold, then you get to a point where you are assured of psychopathic outcomes at least in my view, there has to be an ethical boundary around what we do. Otherwise, everything will eventually become self-destructive, even if it seems like you're gaining benefits in the short term. And now we come to the last point, which is psychopathy. So psychopathy is characterized by antisocial behaviors, impulsivity, selfishness, callous, and unemotional traits and remorselessness. So the proliferation of digital interaction by that displacing in-person community It's removed a lot of the social penalties that used to result from psychopathic behavior traits. Perfect example of this is online trolling or online shaming. So now you could hide behind an online profile that may or may not be real. It might even be fake. And the result of this has been you've had an accelerating trend towards self-centered, impulsive actions without regard to the consequences. And this is why you have so much hyperpolarization of politics, is because there is not that moderating force of people being in personally connected communities. Everybody's hyper-fragmented to where they're just around their people. So let's move forward to some of the impacts. So social media and dating app algorithms, what they do is they amplify these patterns of the dark triad by rewarding engagement in a way that systematically reinforces these narcissistic behaviors. So a classical, classical example is that in data released by Tinder, what they found was, I think it was males did a swipe right or did a like on a profile approximately 60% of the time, which means that about six out of 10 profiles were liked, meaning that they wanted a message, whereas females did a like on a profile approximately 5% of the time. So what that meant is that for those 5% of profiles, which is almost certainly almost certain to be the most, most, most attractive males, now they have an unlimited supply of dating partners, which enables tremendously psychopathic behaviors in a self-reinforcing cycle. Because if you had a highly attractive male who was on Tinder, for example, and you know, and they had just basically an unlimited stream of people who were interested in dating. Well, now they can engage in a lot of destructive behaviors and that would border on or actually be usury and then just move on to the next one, and then just move on to the next one, and then just move on to the next one. And this is not constructive from a social perspective. And the phenomenon that we're talking about here, what it does is it results to a basically a sense of entitlement and fast life decision making. And you end up having a polarization of ideologies. People get into premacy, which is basically right. It's an us versus them. It's the we have it right. The other people are are the ones who have it wrong. And another example of this from the dating sphere is that one of the things that you see now, you see on social media, is you see a lot of the you know where have all the good men gone posts. Well, that's actually the wrong question. The question is not why aren't there any good men out there because there are. The question is Why aren't the good men interested in dating you? And that's a question nobody wants to ask because people feel entitled. And of course, it it replicates on the other side as well. You know, there's, you know, idiocy is not captive to one gender. Okay, so now we get to what do we do? Now, the short version is to think, what would a narcissistic psychopath do and then do the exact opposite? The longer version is to structure your life decisions to create genuine, Long-term value, prioritize helping people, and to seek stable long-term relationships, all the while wrapping everything you do in an exchange of value. Mutual exchange of value, meaning that I provide value to you, you provide value to me. So now we might be thinking, what comes next? Well, the purpose of my podcast, Terminal Value, and our community is to create awareness of the psychopathic vortex, the triangle of negativity, and the dark triad, plus provide real strategies to create a life of value and meaning. As I'm fond of saying, once you have seen the truth, you can't unsee it. An example of this that comes from Buddhism is that if you see something that you think is a snake in the night, and then you learn that it's actually a rope you can't unsee that it's a rope. You know that it's a rope. You'll no longer think it's a snake. Or to take a more contemporary example, in the movie The Matrix, when Morpheus is presenting the truth to Neo, and he shows him the red pill and the blue pill. As he says, you can take the red pill, stay in Wonderland, and see how deep the rabbit hole goes. And that is my invitation to you to join us on this journey to counteract, the psychopathic vortex so please subscribe and comment and let's keep the conversation going thank you for listening to the terminal value podcast to keep the conversation going please join the terminal value community on facebook just go to facebook.com slash groups slash terminal value community and click join Also, if you like this episode, please leave a review on iTunes or Spotify and make sure to subscribe. When you share it on your favorite social channel, be sure to tag me and tell me what you did or didn't like about the episode so I'll know what to create for you. I'm looking forward to hearing from you, and I'll see you again on the next episode.